0: Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to a pretty belated Get French Football News Show. My name is Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening... Are Adam White and Samuel Rook. The cobwebs of the winter break have been truly shaken off now, and that was proven in a barn busting League on weekend and midweek really in the Coupe de France as well, culminating in that heavyweight clash on Sunday we saw. But who came out on top? You probably already know by now. And who's joining the fray in the Cup? All that and more after our latest headlines. Marseille won their fifth straight game in all competitions on Friday evening as they earned a 2-0 win away to Caen. A Dimitri Payet penalty and a Florian Tovan strike were enough to move them into provisional second place. In Saturday's early match, Bordeaux prepared for their new manager, Gus Poyet by winning 1-0 at High Flying Nantes. Nicolas de Preville netted for Les Girondins as they ushered in the Uruguayan after the game. In the multiplex, Strasbourg beat Dijon in a 3-2 thriller that saw Kenny Lala net a brace from the spot, while Toulouse sank to their eighth defeat in their last 11 league uh, matches as Montpellier came from behind to win 2-1 as Max Gradel saw his first red card of his career and also Pascal Duprat was shown the door. Amusa Konate double helped Amiens get back to winning ways in a 3-1 victory over Gangamp. Troyes scored just before half-time to see off Lille 1-0. And Rennes left it late again to sneak a 1-0 win past 10-man Angers. On Sunday, William Cyprian returned to the score sheet as his stunning free-kick helped Nice to a 1-0 victory over struggling Saint-Étienne. As Monaco eventually bundled to a 3-1 win against Metz who had goalkeeper Eiji Kawashima sent off. In the weekend's final match, Lyon managed a 2-1 victory over leaders Paris Saint-Germain. Nabil Fakir's clever free kick early on was cancelled out by a sensational Levin Kozawa volley just before half-time, but at the very death of the game, substitute Memphis Depay earned all three points with a pick of the bunch. And in midweek news, obviously, we've had Coupe de France action Tuesday, Wednesday, and this evening as well. Um, Chambly are still in the round after beating Châteauroux on penalties after a 1-1 draw. Auxerre caused one of the upsets of the round with a really great 4-3 victory away to Nantes. The other big result was Bourgogne-Bresse, who managed to win 2-0 at home to Toulouse, while Lens beat Stade Briochin, Canet uh, Rousselon managed to get two penalties against Caen, but the Ligue 1 side won 4-3 in spot kicks. Um, US Colombier's football um, f- lost 2-1 to Socio, And Epinal were defeated by Marseille on Tuesday. In Wednesday's games, Montpellier played an excellent game against Lorient and ended 4-3 to the Ligue 1 side. Uh, Troyes knocked out Saint-Étienne on penalties after a 1-0 draw. Paris Saint-Germain managed to get through on a 4-2 victory over Gengomp. Mets needed penalties to get past Tor. They netted only two spot kicks in a round. That's an interesting one. And Lyon continued their fantastic week with an excellent 3-2 away victory to Monaco, while Strasbourg this evening have beaten Lille to head to the next round. That has a Number of interesting fixtures, really. And the main one pulling from there is Sochaux will be hosting Paris Saint Germain. In ah, what a wonderful tie that is for the Ligue 2 side, as well as another Ligue 2 side getting a big name in Bourg-en-Bresse facing Marseille. Metz will face Caen. Montpellier are taking on Lyon. Lens will take on Troyes. Chambly will take on Granvier. Auxerre will face uh, Herbier. And Grenoble will face Strasbourg and that's all for a bumper news section but for to stay up to date with everything french football news head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on twitter at gffn we start this week in where else but leon where second overcame first in a titanic bout it was a fantastic game full of talking points and quite sublime goals really adam um but in this one Leon really proved that they can hang with the big boys in this. In yeah.
1: Yeah, I think they did. Um, it was a really sort of, it was an even game. I really felt like Leon deserved something, something from, from the encounter. It, it kind of, it, the way the game played out did kind of play in their favour, of course, with the sending off um, and the, the early goal, the sort of the fantastic Fakir free kick that really caught Ariola out and, you know, it was, Really gave them that sort of momentum they needed, but I think if you look at the top four sides in France this season, and we, we you know we hoped Monaco would be able to keep pace, and I don't think that they've proven that that, that they can keep pace with PSG again this season. Obviously, I, I would put them in you know as the fourth best side. I I, I think Lyon proved last last year when they beat Marseille, you know that they're you know superior to Marseille. So you know Lyon are, are France's second best team at the moment after PSG, obviously, and what are they then eight points now? So I, I know that I don't think they're going to catch PSG by any means, but, you know, they're going to keep them honest for for a long, long time. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty, not only can Leon mix it with the big boys in France, if they are of which they are one, but, um, you know, they could do in Europe with this team, this sort of revamped team with Talisa and Lacazette leaving, and, you know, players that are coming in have done really, really well. And they, Genesio, who I have had little faith in for a long time, um, has really proven this season that he's capable of moulding uh, an effective unit and an exciting attacking team, and it's. I, I think probably that's the most surprising aspect of this sort of Leon resurgence this season. Not only did they have to revamp their team, but the fact that Genesio's been the man to orchestrate it and has done it so fantastically well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think this is a huge boost for for Liga and 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 Leon in particular. Um, I, I think there'll be a, a genuine threat for the rest of the season on on multiple fronts. So, it's great to see.
0: Mm, yeah, it was a game of absolutely terrific goals. I don't think I've seen a game mm. quite like it, really. I mean, Fakir scores a f- terrific free kick, and that's the goal I want to talk about in a moment. Uh, Kazawa with the excellent volley, and, and Depay finishes off with an absolute screamer. It's almost like he really didn't do anything else in that game, but really hit that one excellently. But Sam, I want to I want to talk about that Fakir goal because it really stood out to me throughout the not just for that the stunning goal but also be uh, there's a question of ariola's p- position there's a, a question of is it Fakir just pulling out a moment of absolute genius what side of the line do you line up Sam Okay, it seems like we might have more further technical issues
1: at the moment. At
0: some <laughs> uh, so I'll throw it to you, Adam. I'm I'm going to be absolutely honest. I uh, while I think it's very clever from Fakir, I'm a bit on the Ariola's not quite positioned himself in the right position on that one.
1: Yeah, it's, it, I think that's true. It really reminded me of the um, Fabio Aurelio goal in that Chelsea Liverpool mm. It's is exactly the same, really, isn't it? In that that four was I think it was a four four game at Stamford Bridge in the Champions League. But yeah, I think Ariola's just just expecting a cross, and he's positioned himself accordingly, and has completely forgotten that that you know he's left ninety percent of his goal completely unguarded. And you know, Fakir's obviously seen the opportunity and and executed it perfectly. The, the ball hits the inside of the post on its way in. He couldn't, he really couldn't have done done much better. save for putting it in the top corner, perhaps. But so it's pretty executed. And although Ariola is partially to blame, I think for me I sort of lean towards the Fakir magic rather than Ariola's again questionable positioning and not for the first time either but it's a fantastic goal and just a great piece of ingenuity
0: isn't it it really is and as well as great goals there was great talking points as well and the one i want to focus on first i do want to talk about the mbappe challenge a little bit later as well but i'll throw this one back to you sam now it seems like we've got you back the red card and the not red card for paris saint-germain so daniel alves was sent off uh, Initially got booked for the challenge, continued to talk and talk and talk and got himself sent off essentially by talked himself into that red card. And then uh, Marco Verratti knocks the referee, knocks it out of his hands relatively boisterously. It's not as accidental as the Marcelo one we saw earlier this season. But were you su- obviously the the Danny Alves one is pretty unquestionable. But were you surprised also not to see uh, Verratti see red as well?
2: I think just it happened in in such a moment of madness that so much was going on, perhaps the referee just kind of excused it. I mean, I know just watching it, I was already still trying to deal with Danny Alves and just trying to process that. And I, I suppose the referee who's in the middle of it all, perhaps was in a similar sort of mindset and just kind of didn't realize exactly what Verratti had done because surely by the letter of the law, and as you say, as we've seen this season already, he probably should have been sent off. and. Nine man PSG probably wouldn't have put up the fight that 10 man PSG did. It was a very strange, just a bizarre passage of play. And Danny Alves, just, you know, one of the most experienced players on the pitch doing something absolutely brain dead. It's amazing.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I never get why players talk themselves in TLC cards. I, I don't understand why there's not that trigger in your head going, I'm the referee's looking at me in a certain way while I'm saying these words and it looks like he might not be pleased with what I'm saying. I might shut my mouth a little bit and stay on the pitch, but <laughs> that never seems to happen really, does it? Um, I want to talk about, I thought this was an interesting one, Adam, and it's the challenge on Mbappe that obviously he has to come off for. Um, it seems like he he might have still some a midriff injury and he might still be um, having facing some effects for that for, for a little while. It it was a strange one, really. It seems like a normal coming together when you watch it in full motion, but and, and in slow motion, you start to think, well, does Lopez need to be there in terms of actually fully colliding with him? He's got plenty of time to sort of dive fully away, so it's it's much less of an impact. And it's it's if you think of that kind of body check, if that was anywhere else on the pitch, that would be a free kick and, and possibly cards. So is is this maybe? although it's difficult for the referee, really, maybe we protect goalkeepers a little bit too much in these kind of scenarios?
1: Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. Um, You're right in that if that cushion happened anywhere else on the pitch, then it it absolutely would be a free kick. And it, it comes down to sort of the almost unwritten rule that one, goalkeepers are protected more than perhaps they should be. And two, that, you know, in the penalty area, you seem to have to do a lot more to get a foul than you do anywhere else on the pitch, which which technically really shouldn't be the case. Um, I I personally though see this as more of an unfortunate coming together. I think it's probably a foul, and I, I would have I honestly would not be surprised if the ref gave a, a penalty. But I don't know that Lopez has is as much intent there, or that, um, you know, he, he should be you know, sent off or anything. I think it's coming together, and I think that he fouls him because the, the slow motions you sort of see him lift his knees towards the end, which which, um, you know, is a little bit dangerous and perhaps protecting himself a little bit. And, you know, Mbappe gets the full the full force of it. And when you watch it in, in like, fast motion, and you watch that, because they showed that replay, didn't they, over and over again of the, the coming together. And they showed it a couple of times at full speed. It looks like an NFL, like, linebacker, like, hitting someone. It's it's really violent, like, because they're both going out, you know, sprinting. Um, and it's not surprising that Mbappe's, you know, injured, I, I, think, yeah, he's got, I think he's concussed was was mm-hmm. part of the part of the issue. And obviously, like, the, his sort of ribs as well. Missed the game against, um like missed the Coupe de France game a week against Gangon. So, you know, serious enough to see him miss at least one game. There was reports he'd be out for much longer. And, he, and then Emery came out and said, oh, he wants to play against Gangon and didn't in the end, probably very sensibly. Um, But, yeah, I, I have to agree with your sentiments in that, you know, it, it does look like a foul. But I, I I would sort of temper that a little bit with, I don't know that there's too much malice in in Lopez's uh, Action, but it's it's certainly a, a violent one. Yeah,
0: and it, it's it, I always feel a little bit sorry for players like well, for the attacking players in that sense because Lopez has a decision to make of sort of maybe doing so, a little bit more to try and protect the op- opposition player because Mbappe can't really stop in that kind of moment. It's a little mm. bit difficult to ask him to to put on the brakes when he when you uh, when you're a Ferrari like he is. But um, mm. the real talking point, at least tactically, Sam is. The midfield battle that went on because very similar to the first game, it was Tongi undombele who who really controlled things. He he broke up play excellently. He he pulled out defence with with little tricks and little movements that really bamboozled a PSG defence that's experimented with Loselso at, at defensive midfield. It's not really worked. rabio hasn't really worked in that position. They've brought in Lesana Diara as well in, in this midweek to a to bolster that midfield and add some some steel that seems to be the right thing for them that that's the thing that they might be lacking at the moment
2: yeah I mean that just seems like a really smart move assuming that he's fit and ready to go I mean when he joined Marseille he hadn't been playing for a while came in looked really good right away and I suppose PSG can hope for the same because they do need someone who can free up Rabio. I mean Rabio, with Lo taking the more defensive role it frees up Rabio to to play a bit more football, and that's great. And even against Leon, you saw that he's a bit freer. He was able to do some more of the, the things we know Rabiot can do, and he wasn't constrained by a f- fully defensive role. And if Diara can allow uh, a duo of Rabiot and Verratti to sort of play their best football, then, then it's an excellent signing. And if it slows the development by a little bit, but perhaps he'll learn something from him as well. It, it seems like a good move, and, and I think you're right in saying it's probably a necessary one.
0: I just don't feel like Nacelso f- fits that defensive mold enough. It-, it looked at times when he was playing in that Lyon game that he wanted to to get more involved and be further forward. I- I'm not certain he's the kind of player that really wants to play in that position full time, at least anyway. More of an e- experiment, really, while Thiago Motta's out. Uh, just one final bit on this uh, excellent game, really. And it's a bit of a cheeky one, really. And you mentioned it earlier, Adam. Eight point gap. Can Lyon? close that gap can they make it a title race
1: are you you so the end my initial reaction is no but I, I think there's more to be said on that issue than perhaps we think at this moment in time I mean PSG for most of the season given how how well they, you know they've played well and they, they've been by far the best team overall and they probably think you know in their heart of hearts that the league is one um, but eight points isn't the sort of 20 points it was two seasons ago and they'll start to focus on the Champions League, you know, the Real Madrid game. Emery's already talking about it. I, 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 I guarantee they're already thinking about it and already preparing for it. He said at the start of this year when they came back for that, those two cup games, he's saying you know we need to sort of focus on excellence now in preparation for the Real Madrid games. And assuming it's going to be extremely tight, that game, but assuming PSG do get through, then their focus is on the Champions League. because I. From their point of view, I, if I was Nasser Al-Khalifi, then I would take winning the Champions League over any domestic honour, at, any of them. And 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 that's the way the, the club's been built. So it's possible that they could take their eyes off the ball in the league, rest players, maybe see them come under pressure in some difficult away games. I don't see them ever dropping points at home, but the game at Strasbourg, they're put under pressure, you know, a volatile crowd. They, they can be flaky in those situations. And to be honest, that may come back to bite them in the Champions League too, but... We've seen in these sort of games that they can drop points, and if Leon can can keep pace, keep winning their home games as well, then we may get to a sort of stage where you know there's sort of four or five games to go, and Leon are in with a, with a shout. But um, I still wouldn't back anybody but PSG to to win the league. But I think it'll be closer than than perhaps we thought to start with.
0: Sam, do you think there's a glimmer of hope in the in the sea that we've sort of had at the start of the season where we thought PSG are absolutely running away with it and Leon maybe clawing something back
2: I'd like to think so but I don't I just it's it's too much of a gap I mean you need Leon to be practically perfect through every single one of their next 18 games to to have any real hope because PSG you know as Adam says they won't lose at home so that's 27 more points that they'll get, uh, which means you need them to drop more than eight points and Leon to be perfect. Over it's it's just it's too much. It's too long. It's too big of a gap. Um, I could see Leon finishing closer than eight points, closing that gap. And then, you know, as Adam said, maybe we there could be a shout there towards the end. But I, I think it's just it's too much to ask of a Leon side who have never been in this position. I mean, the the mental strength it takes to win every game when you're trying to chase down a rival. You know, PSG have been here before. Yeah, I'd like to see it, but I just don't. Yeah, it's so maybe a little
0: bit too optimistic for everyone, I think. Uh, um, On to managerial news, at least. of a, an, It was one of the most unusual appointments, really, of the week in, in Bordeaux, signing Gus Poirier. Uh, the terms of his deal haven't really been released, but there was rumours that um, the South American was brought in to help appease the Brazilian contingent. There's also... um bits in French press that we've heard that that Bordeaux were supposedly were going for Prodham who was at at Club Bruges but didn't want to pay out a 750,000 payout to the club to even though he's out of contract he's still somewhat contracted to them and went for the cheaper option of of Poirier and and someone that supposedly um, some of the players hadn't even heard of um, which seems will seem peculiar to English audiences at least but I suppose he's not as big a name really in France Sam, can you wrap your head around Poirier as manager of Bordeaux?
2: Not really, no. It's, um, it's baffled me from the moment that I heard it. Um, it still makes very little sense. He's just – he's had a number of opportunities as a manager and in none of them has he shone or even really succeeded. It's – I mean, we know, we know him best in England from his failures with – well, I mean, Brighton wasn't entirely a failure, but it ended poorly – very poorly. Uh, Sunderland as well, that was a disaster. I mean, the assistant manager job at Tottenham, that was an absolute clown car. And then to come in, it just seems he's come in because he's cheap. Because as you mentioned, they they didn't want to pay for Prodome or they couldn't afford him or or whatever. But this is just a guy who's never really won anything. You know, When he was managing in Athens, he did okay. Um, But that's one job out of six or seven and that just shouldn't be enough to get you this job, which is, this is still a good job. Bordeaux still a very big club, very good players. If they can survive this season, there's every reason to think that the future's future still bright for this club. This is a great job that a, a guy who doesn't really have a lot of runs on the board has somehow just snuck into.
0: Yeah, I, I still can't really believe that it happened really, Adam. I mean, we've talked about um, Saint-Etienne being a club that didn't really have any direction. Now it feels like it's legiorno done maybe making a shock move. It, it doesn't really make any sense. Is this possibly a step back for them? A sort of um, makeshift appointment to hope this maybe works and then maybe reassess in the summer?
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. That's the way it struck me, given the way that Gafs' career has gone. I mean, I really like him as a player in the UK, in, in, in the Premier League, he you knows great, but as a manager, as Sam mentioned, it's it's been a bit of a roller coaster, and you know he he. he I've seen him keeping Sunderland up, but then it quickly went went, back, went bad. The following season, the Brighton thing, as you mentioned, it a shambles. He was at Betis for like four months. Um, he was she was Shanghai Shenhua manager previously, and they finished fourth the previous season, and he left them in twelfth in in the Chinese Super League. So, I, I I'm struggling to see a success in his managerial career. As much as you know, as, as he's an interesting character and. I think it has to be just a short-term fix. Um, I really think that there's, unless there's a time limit on that Prud'homme payout clause to Bruges, um, maybe, you know, they're thinking this summer, he'll be the man in the summer, but Stefan Martin, the Bordeaux president, insisted that, you know, they hesitated on Prud'homme, you know, they weren't sure that Poyet was the man to, to you know, to revitalise a dressing room. And, that might be the case that, you know, he might be a, a short-term fix. And, you know, he, in the past, he has, you know, had a, you know, that honeymoon period has lasted relatively, you know, relatively long amount of time. And, you know, that's what Bordeaux need. They need to stay up this season, whatever. That has to be their priority. They, they cannot get relegated, um, which is possible at the moment. Um, um, especially, I don't think they will lose Malcolm, but if they did, then they would be in genuine trouble about him and Toulon, as We talked last week about Toulon sort of being released or asked to be released and having that wish granted after Gorfonek was sacked. Um, but it's whether Poyet is the man to unite the dressing room, um, which I felt Proudhon was, and and he's he's seen in Belgium as as a good coach and a sort of a, a good man manager and a, you know an, an inspirational leader. Like he's his sort of he's he's his, his staff have gone on to coach other teams in Belgium successfully, and it, he felt like the man, given you know given his experience and his success with Bruges, that he could unite that dressing room. Which, given Toulon's situation and and you know his apparent you know up, be sort of being upset with the the way the dressing room is at the moment with that sort of Brazilian clique and perhaps some of some of the players aren't taking it as seriously as he feels they should then they need a strong figure and onto that in the long term Poyer might manage that in the short term they might stay out but I don't see it lasting
0: yeah it's a, it's a, a weird one there was also um, reports that Poye said he wouldn't take the job if they sold Malcolm which Um, It Seems like it's it's a good idea. I think that's the right thing to say to a club like that. But at the same time, is he the man that should be making the decisions? I mean, in in a sense, because it's such a strange appointment, Sam, it's one of those moments of should they invest in him and in the team when they need to now and in the players that he might bring in that uh, we've seen in other jobs because he's been such short term in other jobs that it might not necessarily build to a stronger future. It, should they be investing in him or should they be sort of seeing what he can do with the current crop of squad that should be doing better?
2: Well, I guess the thing we don't know is the interview process. I mean, presumably they spoke to him before hiring him and perhaps he was able to outlay some sort of vision. You know, he, he looked at the squad and said, I can get the best out of Malcolm. I can get the best out of the other players here. You know, something that convinced them I mean, they gave him the job after all. So if they believe in him enough to give him the job, they, they need to back him. Um, obviously, they, they don't have a lot of money floating around because, as we said, they didn't want to pay for Purdam. But there's money there, and if they desperately need money, they could always sell Malcolm. Plenty of clubs would bite their hand off, give him 50 million for him, you know, any day you like, and, and then they'd have money to reinvest. But it, it's, it's still just such a very strange move, and you know, maybe it'll turn out great. But it doesn't seem likely. Mm, yeah, it's, uh, I still
0: can't wrap my head around it. I think I'll be gasping for, until the end of time. I think on that one, really, I don't don't really get what the plan is with that. It just seems like a. It seems like they couldn't get anyone else. It feels like a, a very much like the uh, John Louis Gassé at Santander at the moment. It just feels like any man will do, rather than the man that was helping us sink a little bit. But it's. it's really worrying for a side that should be doing a lot, lot better. And another team that have sacked their manager this week um, is Toulouse, who were in freefall. fall, really. It's, it's, it was eight losses in their last 11 games, with just one win in that time. Um, Adam, they're still in second from bottom as well. Um, they're in real trouble of being sucked into the league. This was probably a move that it was mutually agreed, at least, but it, we kind of saw coming.
1: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I think it was one that we that we saw coming, and I I, I'm a little bit disappointed that Depres wasn't given a little bit more time. Um, I felt that in their previous few games, they hadn't. The results been terrible. You can't deny that you said lost eight of their last eleven league games, which is which is terrible. And given that they're you know, second bottom and they're another team that really can't get relegated. You know, they, for, they spent six million on Andy Delors last last season, which is a lot of money for the club like Toulouse. And you know, they, they can't really get relegated. But I felt that the you know the they weren't playing too terribly. They they should have I can't believe they lost Tina Cimetti in that game. They were the better team in that game. The the long game they you know they got lucky but again they were the better team for much of the second half. We should have had that that equalizer a lot sooner. Um, unlucky to lose um, in in Toulouse in Montpellier. Sorry, um, and it felt like that they were just getting unlucky. That that they were playing a little bit a little bit better than perhaps those results suggested. Um, and Depraz was gone, and I can understand the reasons for that. You know, the results were terrible, and they can't can't you can't look past that. Is that it, in a similar case to Bordeaux? I'll, are they able to get a manager in who's going to do anything better? Are they are they looking for a short term fix, to just keep them in the league? It, you know, they, they could go for Gorvanek, and I think he's probably the most likely candidate at the moment, which would actually be a pretty good deal for 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 concerned really. But yeah, you couldn't. You I'm a, as much as I love Dupraz, I I, I can understand Toulouse's willingness to willingness to to see him leave, and it's it's a shame, but um, perhaps necessary. I. I I still think I've I've said this a lot on, on our podcast over the last season or so, but or last this season that they just weren't creating chances. They have got no creativity. Delors wasn't, isn't missing chances. He just isn't getting any. Um, and without Oscar Trejo, that they that, you know without play, replacing him at least, then they're in trouble in that area. So sad, but perhaps necessary. I hope they find someone that can keep them in the division
0: yeah and it's a mixture of things really i, I do quite like that idea of govanek going there that's that does sound like the right kind of fit for him and for the mm. club um but you feel for the he really inspired them for a while but it might not just be the lack of creativity they have, but they, they brought in some uh, some interesting signings at least, Sam, but they've not really worked out. I mean, Max Lengardel hasn't quite hit the form that we saw at Saint-Étienne. Uh, Gianelli and Bula as well, not as good as he was in his Marseille days, the couple of jumps around the continent and maybe not have helped. Uh, Yaya Sanogo still seems like a, a strange one. Uh, do you think that pinned some of the problems and the fact that those weren't producing also put a lot of pressure on the, the young defence that was really the... Uh, the key to this team?
2: Well, I mean, that's it. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there that this, the defense and the goalkeeper, they were the key to the team, but it doesn't matter how good the back line is. If everyone in front of them can't do much, can't hold the ball, can't use the ball when they have it, you know, you can only defend for so long. You can only hold out for so long. And we've just seen more and more often guys like Diop and Julien making errors that you don't expect of them because they're just having to do so much work and they're under so much pressure constantly. And, and it's because the, the, the midfield in front of them, you mentioned in Buller, you expect the Marseille in Buller and you just don't get that. It's the Stoke in Buller, well, a little bit better than the Stoke in Buller. Um, at least he scores great goals, at least one. Um, but they just they don't use the ball, they don't keep it, they don't play properly, and they just put the back line under constant pressure. And the strength of the team is only so strong, and we've seen that, that they make mistakes, they get unlucky because they just they do nothing with the ball. And that's that's the frustrating thing about watching Toulouse this season. Yeah, that
0: that was the really disappointing thing for I, I thought as well is that um, we've mentioned num- numerous times that the Toulouse production line of the likes of Diop and Lafont, they're they're the two main players at least. But you add in Julian and uh, a couple of the wing backs as well. They they're the tea part you build around now. They're the strong defense. They've got some good, interesting midfielders as well in, in Blind but they just if they can't relieve the pressure off those players, how are young players supposed to grow? Um, they're all going to make mistakes. Diop's made mistakes. Julian is a little bit more experienced, but it has made mistakes. Lafont is uh, he's 18. <laughs> we keep forgetting. I know he's had uh, almost 80 games in Liga, but he's 18 and he still does make mistakes and it will happen. And we want teams like this to play players like that, but they need to have something going forward or something happening. I mean, you look at some of the teams above them that have, have done better this year that they should be aiming to be better than than teams like Caen, teams like Montpellier you thought at the start of the season were, were nowhere near um, the quality level of Toulouse. You you look at, at teams like Strasbourg, you look at Amiens, look you look at Troyes who have all been better than them this season at parts have been less turgid, have been less uh, um, just stuck for ideas, not being able to create anything really and and they've just really, really lacked it and now they're sucked into it now. I mean, the lucky thing they, uh, and a lot of teams have a lot to be thankful for that everyone else is doing really rubbish around them. That The fact that two wins probably send you all the way up to 12th if res- other results go your way at, at the moment. So they're not completely stuck in the mire yet. And they don't quite have Mets uh, breathing down their neck just yet, but it's a troublesome one. And, and other than Govanek, Sam is it, 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 Adam. Is there anyone else you want to throw in there? I'll, I'll pass it to you first, Adam. Um, Govanek sounds like a good one, but is there anyone else you would throw your hat in the ring for?
1: Um, I, <clears throat> I've seen the the classic Frederick Antonetti link um, a few times. Um, given that you know it's he, you know he, he did a very good job when he took over at Lille and in, a, in the short term, you know he took them from relegation fighting. to I think they finished fifth in that season he took over. Um, so you know, Toulouse would, Toulouse would very much settle for that. A team in a you know a similar strength of squad in a similar situation. So that might be a good short-term fix. Um, but I think Gourvenec perfect. It's perfect timing. You know, he's the right sort of manager for this for this for this club. Um, I think he was dealt a very very harsh, difficult hand at Bordeaux, and it could it could be just the perfect time for both club and and manager. It may have even influenced. The, the removal of Dupras, that Gauvinic was available and, and very likely willing. So um, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Fred Gentinetti I'm not by no means saying he should take over, but it wouldn't surprise me if they went with him. But I, I think it has to be Gauvinic.
0: Sam, do you agree with that? That sounds like the right fit as long as, as Gauvinic is, is on board with that idea as well.
2: It's definitely the one that, that fills those of us who have a bit of a, an affiliation with Toulouse with a bit of hope. Um Galvanic, that's an exciting move and it seems like one that might might galvanize Toulouse. But um I do I do wonder if perhaps they might just stick with DeBerve, the the ex assistant, if if he can get a good result perhaps this weekend, they might stick with the hot hand. Who knows? But uh but yes, I mean Gorvanek would be ideal.
0: Yeah, it does seem the right kind of fit. I mean, there's a f- few weird names being thrown into the the, the mix as well. There's rumours that Alessandro Nesta might be someone that they might even have a look at, which be a great name, but a, a, not really someone with the greatest coaching experience, at least for the Toulouse maybe need. But you've got great young defenders. I'm pretty sure <laughs> that one of the best uh, ever to do it might be able to help them a little bit. Um, let's talk about transfers now. I think that there's been a, a fair few this weekend. Especially in this last sort of day or so, they've they've really turned on the jets, and we mentioned Lassard Diara being one um, earlier. So I, w- I will start with him, uh, Adam. He's not played football for six months, but he didn't play for about a year before he played for Marseille, and he was excellent. Really, he's been here, there, and everywhere. Um, is that a good signing for, for uh, Paris Saint-Germain? They needed that kind of player, and they got him on a free. It's probably decent wages. He's well experienced. Is there any argument with that one?
1: no I think it's a great signing I'm I'm he wanted this move originally at Marseille and it didn't really come about and Marseille wouldn't let him go to PSG and he ended up playing in the in the Middle East and um I think it's yeah I think it's I'm, I'm really I'm not quite excited about it given how good he was at Marseille and at his best at Marseille he was absolutely brilliant for them and that really that can't really be understated and it's just the, the perfect the perfect sort of fit for both player and for club he's he's a He's an experienced player. He's Champions League experience. He's you know, got experience at Real Madrid and Arsenal and Chelsea. and um, he's, he's proven in the league. So if Mota's injured, which he seems to be quite a lot these days, and you need him to slot in, he'll be able to do that pretty seamlessly. They, as you mentioned earlier, there's a, there's a big hole in that sort of, without Mota, in, in that sort of defensive midfield role. Rabio is good there, but doesn't like playing there. So Emery sort of caved and sort of moved him further forward. La chelsea being playing there and although he's a very gifted player, he's not a defensive midfielder, he's, he's an attacking midfielder really, um, and he's been sort of playing central midfield too. I'm disappointed with Lo against Lyon, I felt like he looked like he was a bit overawed, and some of his passing wasn't as confident as it has been in previous games, which you know, you can forgive he's a young player, and you know, it's a position he's not used to, but I don't think he's a solution there, but I definitely think Diallo is. I think it's a, it's a really good, it's, it's, it's a really good sort of Thought it's, it's a good idea for, for, for from PSG, they don't, they don't need to spend much money on him, and um, he'll, he'll come in and, and do exactly what they need him to do.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really good signing. I mean, he's still a really quality player, and we saw how mm. good he was at, at Marseille, really. So, uh, Salmon, like I say, they need kind of a linchpin, and the positive of this kind of move is he's available for the Champions League as well. If Thiago Mott is not still fit, he can be an option against his former team in uh, Real Madrid. That's that's a real added bonus to this deal, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge part of this. I think it must have been part of the consideration because that Real Madrid midfield, I mean, obviously, they're out of sorts at the moment. Real Madrid, you know, they've just gone out of the cup in, in Spain as well. And Sudan may not even make it to the PSG tie. But assuming they get there in decent shape, that midfield is a monster. And PSG can't line up with the same midfield they took to Leon. Uh, the Chelsea would would just be would just be run right over the top. They need they need a big, you know, they need someone to hold the midfield together. And 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 Lassana Diarra, he's the kind of guy who can do it for them. And he's a big game player. He's a he delivers. You know, he's a, he's a great. It's a great signing, and it really could make a big difference in that tie. And that tie is all that club is about right now. PSG are entirely focused on beating Real Madrid, and then whoever they get in the next round. And this signing. He's focused on that as much as you know his contributions in Liga.
0: Right, yeah. It's there's some really excellent signings, and I want to go through some of the big ones really. And there's there's some interesting ones in the pipeline. But I, I will start with one that's gone through this evening really, and that's Southampton fans will certainly want to tune their ears to this one, and that's uh, Guido Carrillo joining uh, their club for twenty almost twenty million pounds uh, from Monaco. Um, he's a decent player, Sam. Uh, Maybe not twenty million pounds worth, maybe we might argue, but um a target man that that might give Southampton some hope with a really dismal sort of attacking record so far this season
2: Well, yeah, and I think at this point, uh twenty million for a Premier League club, that's just not that much money you know i mean I think we're still we're still adjusting to really that twenty million is a very average player these days in the premier league it's just it just doesn't buy you perhaps what it used to and southampton are, are desperate their main goal scorer charlie austin is perpetually injured you just can't really rely on him um they they do look rather toothless i mean gabby who looked excellent last season he's not really the player he was they they needed a signing and and Cario, the good thing about him is even if he doesn't score goals he he does help players around him at monaco when he did play, he often helped Falcao be Falcao. And that's that's something you can... That's something Southampton fans could look at and think, well, he can he can help some of our other players to deliver as well. And he doesn't necessarily come in and score 10, 15 goals by the end of the season, but he's definitely the kind of player that might just help them stay up.
0: Adam, what do you think? I mean, we've mentioned at times um, Guido Carrillo is a, a good footballer and has been great off the bench for Monaco this season. But is he someone who can start... 15 20 games for the season and score consistently enough in the premier league i mean we might say he's, he's built as they might say in england really for for the premier league but is he someone that's going to really propel them out of this uh, relegation fight they find themselves in
1: no no i don't think he is i'm, I'm amazed by the signing um uh, who is southampton's french scout i mean if you've got 20 million to spend i i wouldn't be spending on guido Carrillo at all i mean he had a purple patch for Monaco over the end of last season, perhaps. And perhaps a little bit of the early, early part of this season, maybe. But I don't see I don't think he's ever proved himself in, in, in Europe to be anything approaching a prolific goalscorer or the type of the type of player that Southampton need. And you look at their squad and I would rather have Shane Long playing up front for my team. I'd rather have Mike Manello playing up front for my team, and I'd rather have rather have Charlie Austin. So I, I I don't see the point, and I'm I'm I think this, for Southampton, I guess it, there must be an Argentine link with Pellegrini, and and um, well, sorry, with um, with yeah, Pellegrino. Sorry, and and career uh, because <clears throat> he was very good at Estudiantes, I think Independiente. I'm not sure where mm. he played in Argentina. He's very good there, um, but he hasn't shown it in in France, and I I, I don't want to say it's a waste of money because it's, it's a bit harsh, but. It's not far off. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm as surprised as, as perhaps you sound, Nathan. It seems like an odd one, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a number of things that confuse me about this. What One, I keep forgetting that Guido Carrillo is 26. I, I keep thinking he's 23, 24. Um, the fact that he supposedly should really be in his athletic prime. He's not, a consistent enough goal scorer. I like him. I like his style. I, I'm more of a fan of the sort of taller um, hold-up players and he might be able to do that kind of job with I'm thinking of players like Tadic and Ward-Prowse and, and Redmond and, and Buffal, who can who like running off that kind of player. Maybe that's something they're lacking and maybe he's something he can offer um, because we've not really seen him in a sort of 4-5-1 very often either and that's more of what Southampton will try to play around him but 19 million is a lot of money for him that he uh, Monaco must be rubbing their hands together thinking that anything they have now is worth plenty of money to anyone really even if they're a bench player or something like that I mean I, I can think of maybe three or four players that you you might have got for a similar amount of money that might have been been a better option really or at least a more consistent obvious option I mean yeah, he, he was at Instundi Andes beforehand and he's sco- only scored twenty-eight goals in almost hundred and twenty games and it's only fifteen in sixty-five for Monaco as well. And he's never been a, a good enough to be a consistent starter. Even when he's been in purple patches, they've not been good enough. If he was fourth stri- well, he was fourth striker last season. He was fourth striker this well, third maybe even for Jovic simply because of injuries, really, that he was in there. It's it just doesn't strike me as the player that they need. I mean they could even look at players in the in the championship or or something like that that are scoring goals consistently or or just look at, at trying to maybe build someone from like I, I, even just off the top of my head i mean i i've seen that um uh, fine order asking 20 million from newcastle for Nikolai jorgensen now he's obviously playing in the era divise which is a bit more difficult to sort of attribute to how good he can be at the next level but if you're looking for a target man and someone who's at least scored consistently why don't you spend the 20 million there instead of the 20 million on on a what is essentially a real gamble um and this will absolutely 100% be uh, Pellegrino's live or die move if if he hits the ground running fantastic if he doesn't score for the first five games. He might be gone before he gets the chance to really show, uh, put a mark on this team at all, really. Um, uh, another interesting move that might be in the pipeline, really, from from France to England, um, Lucas Moura has been reportedly being shown around the Tottenham uh, training facilities uh, this evening. Um, that's been reported by, uh, I believe it was the Telegraph I saw it on earlier. It's an interesting move, supposedly ahead of a £22 million move. Um we were talking before the show, Sam, that, that Tottenham always seem to be trying to fill that right-wing role. Is Lucas the man to do that?
2: This is a really, really strange move for Tottenham. Um, Lucas has definite qualities, but he just doesn't really seem to fit in at all with, with what Pochettino is trying to do. He doesn't, he doesn't have the sort of the physicality that, that most Pochettino players have. I mean, one of Pochettino's favourite players is Lamella who has similar abilities with the ball, um, but so much fight without it. He's, he's a scrapper. He kicks people. He, you know, he's, a, he's a, almost a thug. And Pochettino loves him. And, and Lucas Moura is just so not that. And the, the rumors at the same time that Lucas Moura would be coming in and that Lamela would be sold back to Italy. I mean, that just that just makes no sense. And look, Lucas is definitely, he has qualities and he has the pace that Tottenham don't have. So that on on that basis alone, it does make some sense. The Spurs would get a bloke. They don't have that pace. They don't have that directness. Maybe someone who can perhaps help take some of the pressure off Harry Kane, distract defences, something like that. But it's a strange one. I mean, he's not going to be eligible for the Champions League, I don't think. So, mm. you know, it's only for the Premier League. He's going to take time to adjust. We know he's, he's not played a lot of football either. He's not going to have the fitness that Pochettino players need. He's not going to know Pochettino is very specific very sort of complex system it's a really strange signing I I really don't understand it yeah and
0: uh, Adam do you think that he's it, it, he seems like a different mould to some of the other attackers. I mean, we're thinking of Hume Min Son, who's maybe more of a almost pseudo-striker. Deli Ali's is more of a number 10, as is Eriksen. Um is coming back into the fold. He's maybe more of a winger. Maybe Lucas gives them a different option in those attacking areas, but is he really going to get the consistent game time he's really searching for after for leaving PSG?
1: Um, no, to answer that part of the question, I don't think he is going to get Consistent game time that he's after, um, but he's going to get more game time than he is at PSG at the moment. Um, when you look at Spurs' team, you, you know, he, he's got so much to compete with in that sort of attacking areas. Obviously, no one's moving Harry Kane, Deli Ali, Christian Eriksen, San Lamella, even Sissoko. Yeah, I, I, you don't, you'd hope he'd be above Sissoko in the pecking order, but that, he's not going to be first choice by any means. Um obviously Spurs gonna have a lot of games in the second half of the season, so he'll obviously get the game time that he needs. But as a permanent move, I don't I'm surprised that this is the type of thing that he's interested in. Yes, Spurs are a good club and you know is a great manager. Um but it does seem from his point of view like he's going got to do quite a lot to force his way into the team. On Lucas himself, um I I, I am well aware of the of of Sam's Sam's opinion and, and it's quite common that um that you know Lucas Perhaps isn't the, the player of, of PSG standard or the high or sort of a you know a Champions League team standard, and and it's something that I personally feel may, may not necessarily be, be true. If you look at PSG's last season, Lucas was their second top goal scorer, got 19 goals in all competitions, only second to Gavani, and got 11 assists, which is his second, their second top assist provider behind Di Maria, got 15. So he's involved directly in 30 goals in 53 games. And for me, I know that he he perhaps hasn't been first choice and he doesn't always, you know, stand out. But I, I always feel like he offered, one, something different. And he always had an impact when he came off the bench and when he started for PSG, whether he was first choice or not, whether he was in favour or not, I felt like he impacted the game. So you, although he's been out of favour completely this season, you, you imagine that he would do a similar thing for Spurs. And in the Premier League, he's going to get a little bit more space to run at people. Full packs are going to get forward like they don't really in France. and. He's a he's a very talented player, and I, I think this could be a really good signing for, for Spurs. That he could be an impact sub, or he could, ably cover home son San or, or or Ericsson or or any of their sort of four players. Harry Kane aside, obviously, if should they get injured or in later in games or you know later in the season, um. But I I don't think that he'll be happy because I think he thinks he should be playing first choice for a Champions League team, but and I don't think he'll get that. But for Spurs, I think it's actually quite a good signing to add to that front line, because I I like Lucas. I've always liked him watching PSG play, and I feel like he's capable of of changing games.
0: Yeah, it feels like it's it's a bit of a strange sort of traffic movement, if that's maybe the best way to put it, in the sense that for Lucas, it's probably not really the right move for him. Mm. He's not going to get the game time he wants. He's maybe not going to necessarily the position he wants to play in at the same time he's not going to get that guaranteed game time even if players left that Tottenham aside they'd probably look for extra players to come in as well it, it just doesn't feel quite right it'd be great for them i think to add to depth um because that's really what they're looking for from this kind of signing and that's unfortunately <laughs> probably not what uh, lucas is is really understanding from the the deal itself let's talk about some interesting moves that have happened um in Liga and there's, there's some really interesting ones for Santetti and I, I'm just looking at the transfer list from uh, from the Liga website and obviously there's the great loan deal for Tep and, and we'll talk about that in a moment but also there's news that they've got Nevin Subotic from uh, Borussia Dortmund, a very experienced defender and a, a player they need. And they've also lost uh, Lois Diony, who's gone to Bristol City on uh, loan. And we'll, we'll start with him, uh, Sam. It was a bit disappointing, really, his season so far. It's never really clicked at, at Le Ver. Um, we all expected a lot from him, really. He's a player that we thought was well sought after in Liga. A move to Bristol City, as many French strikers have done. Farma Giedou, uh, Con- uh, Jeff... Uh, codger as well um it's an interesting move and possibly a profitable one if he can rediscover his form isn't
2: it yeah absolutely i mean he gets to go and, and play in a champion in a promotion chase you know they're what are they bristol are not far off the, the promotion place they're in the playoff places at the moment a couple of points from from direct promotion i mean he gets to go play in that fun so it's going to be a lot, a lot different to um what he's been enjoying most of this season. Um, change obviously will do him some good because it's just not really worked out for him there. But it seemed like a pretty good deal for everyone involved. And as you say, if if he can succeed, do well, it's a profitable move for everyone as well. Yeah,
0: talking about the other moves that Lever have done, Adam. I mean, Untemp a, a really good positive player that likes to play on on the in the final third. Is it's never really worked out at Wolfsburg for one reason or another, but has excelled in Ligue 1 before. And and a player like Subotic, he might not quite be as good as he was a couple of years, well, even five years ago. Really, injuries have really curtailed his career. But adding him to the likes of Peran and and Pogba, that they, they've got a a little bit more experience in that in that back line that might just uh, help tip this balance they have at the moment of not really being able to do anything, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I agree. I think they're, they're all really interesting signings and the type of thing that Sonetti and Leeds need is to add a bit more verve to their squad, which is, as I often sort of moan about, that it's a very uninspiring midfield in particular, but an inspiring team. And Gautier somehow got the best out of that team for... for seven, eight, nine season. So Supertich is, is a signing I really like. He's still he's still 29. He's fallen completely out of favour at Dortmund. Um, and I, I admit, I haven't seen him much in the last few seasons. Um, and obviously he's been overtaken by Sokratis and, and Mark Bartra and players like that uh, and rap too in, in, in their team. But for a club like Sinetti, in the situation they are, given the experience he has, the quality he's shown in the past, he's a really, really nice signing. And um, they've struggled for so many years to find a right a partner for for, for Loic Perrin. I know Mustafa Sau was one that that was relatively you know significant a few seasons ago before he left. But since then, definitely they've they've really struggled to find Perrin a, a good partner. And Subotic so could be that man. Between them, they have absolutely no pace. That's that's a huge issue um, that they'll probably come across pretty quickly. But there's experience and defensive now. So that you know he's he's up there. So. That's a really good great signing. And Tep, if he can recapture his Wren form, it's a huge signing for, for Sinetti. And I know he's struggled with injuries, and perhaps that's maybe robbed me with the pace that he showed at Wren and, and that sort of that, that sort of verve he he, he so wonderfully um, imposed on, on League and sides and was brilliant for Wren. For was close to move to Liverpool at one point. He's, he could be a brilliant signing, but again, as you said, it's never really worked out at Wolfsburg. Um, and potentially you, you know, Yann V is a good signing. Um he, he's an experienced player, he's a talented player, obviously attitude problems in the past, but overall, you know, they're sort of adding to their spine, which has been, Peran and Rufio's sign has been severely lacking, so they're going in the right direction at least. Um. So hopefully, they'll be the three players that will help them drag themselves out of this absolute mess they're in this season.
0: Yeah, and no, just looking at some some of the rumours that have been going around as well, and, and Basel was supposedly looking at Leo Lacroix from from Santatiana, and they must be like, please, please take him off our hands <laughs> at the moment. Really, he's, yeah, yeah he's, been, he's been pretty awful this season. Is maybe the nice way of putting it. Um, we'll go for one really interesting signing before going on a, a brief rumor that I've, I've just spotted from our own Twitter account as well. That's come from Di Marzio earlier today. Um, so we'll go with the the low-key one at the moment, and that's uh, knees shifting out more midfielders, at least in Remy Valter going to Troyes on loan for the rest of the season. Uh Sam, it's an interesting one. His his career was pretty good under Favre last season. He played quite a, a number of games, but it's stalled quite a bit this season. Um, This is a great chance for him to really get back on the horse, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, he just needed a move. He needed to go somewhere He was going to play um, this season. I mean, it's not been a disaster because he's barely kicked a football. So you can't really call that a disaster. It's just something else. He's, it's just been a waste. You know, this is, this is a guy who's young. He needs to play. And, and, you know, as you said, last season he played a lot nice, you know, good season with him in the side this season played one game in the league. Uh, you know, his career is stalling and it's, it's great that the club have been good, good enough to say, well, look, go, go out on loan. Play and we'll see where you end up at the end of the season because this is six months wasted in a 22-year-old's career. It's not great. Um, so go go play for toi. Excellent. Great for, great for everybody involved.
0: And, and the, the final one, and I'll get you both to talk about this quickly, is uh, supposedly PSG have been uh, receiving offers between €25 million Euros and, and €40 million Euros from Liverpool and Tottenham for Javier Pastore. Supposedly, Inter were very much front runners in that and he obviously cried coming off the pitcher before the winter break thinking that he was going to go And It's strange that, well, the player seems to have turned down the moves rather than the than the club. Um, Adam, do you understand why he maybe turns down a move to Liverpool or Tottenham? I mean, he's had his injury problems over the last couple of years at least, but he's a, a very talented player and arguably, in those kind of sides, has, has a chance of starting regularly.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm surprised he has turned him down. Um, I think he's, I love Pistorio. I think he's, on his day, unbelievably good and would fit right in at, at Liverpool in particular. Spurs perhaps less so, but again, he'd be very, very useful for them. Um, I, I think this may have something to do with his wife may have very recently given birth. I, and there are a few PSG players that um, have recently had, had, had children and, and, and they're not... He, this is part of the reason they might be struggling to shift some of their forwards is because they're settled in France and they're settled in Paris and having, you know, recently had a child that them and their partners don't want to leave. And I, I don't, I'm fairly sure Pastore is one of them. So that may have something to do with it. Um, but in, in sheer footballing terms, um, it, it would be a great sign for both those teams. And for Pastore, he, he, for me, I'd I'd start him at Liverpool. And, um, and he wouldn't be far from the Spurs team either and you know he, he'd have an impact on their Premier League he's, he's an unbelievably talented player and um, so I'm surprised that he hasn't moved one of those teams it sounds like a good fit
0: yeah <laughs> good to get there Adam knowing uh, the wag talk that we all need on the on this <laughs> program at least anyway <laughs> um, so what do you think I mean the the move to Inter seemed to be like the one really that was nailed on throughout the throughout the winter period really and it Liverpool and, and Tottenham have come in late. Uh, you think Liverpool are possibly losing uh, Chan? They've already lost uh, Coutinho. Maybe he's someone that could fit in nicely there. Does it seem strange for you as well that he's maybe turned down moves to what he probably be on the same kind of wages? He might he still should be able to get Champions League football at both those clubs. It, it seems like maybe he's like saying maybe one of these players that are ready to stay pat and wait for the right kind of move that they feel.
2: Well, the rumors that I read earlier today were that he's dead keen on Inter, and that's where he wants to go, and he's settled on that project, he believes in that as the move, and, and if that's the case, then that, that would at least explain turning down two, two pretty good clubs for him to go to. I mean, as, as Adams sort of mentioned, he'd be a great player for either of them. I mean, Spurs are desperate for someone other than Christian Eriksen, who can actually make something happen with the ball at his feet, and... You know, that's perfect description of Javier Pastore. He makes things happen with the ball at his feet. I mean, he'd be great for Spurs. And, and you know, as you said, Liverpool too, there, there is a gap there for a player just like him. He'd fit right into that system. You know, he's your Coutinho understudy, if you like. I mean, Coutinho's gone, but Coutinho replacement almost. He'd be great for both of them. So whether it's the, the wag and the baby or it's he wants to join Inter, I mean, no, there must be a reason for it, but... If those bids are real and he's really turned them both down, that is that is surprising because they both be excellent fits for him. And you know, working under Pochettino, that would probably be his best chance of getting into the Argentina squad for the World Cup. You know, and you have got to think like, well, if he doesn't move, he doesn't play, he won't go to the World Cup. Hmm. That's that's
0: the worry for him, isn't it? I, I think the one positive from the other side of this of him turning them down is is. I do worry that he's had so many injuries recently and we all always hear about it, the Premier League being a more physical, quote-unquote, league. Um, it's it's maybe for the best, maybe, that he's he's not coming into the Premier League midway through a season with with his injury history. Maybe with being that kind of flair player, getting beaten by the likes of Gareth Barry on, on a weekend when he's there at West Brom or something like that, I think he'll probably be happy to uh, stay pat and uh, enjoy maybe until the summer or or if into our Ready to step up their interest fully and, and grab him in the winter and and maybe have a more uh, Mediterranean climate, is maybe the way, the nice way to describe it, at least there. Uh, uh, that's all we have time for this week. My thanks to Adam, Sam, and all of you listening at home. Um, join us for the main show again uh, next week. It won't be delayed. Hopefully, our technical issues seem to be resolved. So we'll be back at the same time, uh, same place uh, on next Monday. Abianto, uh, and goodbye.